Teaching is not a sacrificial career. It should be fulfilling. And a part of that is making sure that we cultivate a culture of good people. Hi, my name is Jennifer Hunter and I'm obsessed with all things teaching. I'm a sunshine loving California girl who studied science and fell into education where I became a passionate about creating a classroom and school environment that kids love to be a part of without lowering the expectations. I'm an educator, mama, and athlete who has worked in all grade levels and all layers of the education system from teacher to district office. I teach you the step-by-step tips and tricks to help avoid burnout, connect with kids, and design engaging lessons that keep your students wanting more. Think of this as your one-stop shop for happy hour with your teacher bestie mixed with PD. So sit back, relax, and get ready to be challenged and encouraged for this adventure that we call teaching. This is the Learning Project Podcast. Hi, friends. Today, we're going to talk about three ways to create a culture of shared learning and a shared vision for your school or district. Each day in schools across America, teachers and administrators are encountered with this steady stream of kids acting out with behaviors for a variety of different reasons. Frequently, they arrive in the office due to frustration on the end of the teachers, and oftentimes the students are frustrated as well. As the adults at the school, there's a balance, and it's very delicate between making parents happy, making the kids happy, and supporting everybody. The old adage of wearing too many hats seems cliche, but it's such a true statement. Students look to us for guidance and support in their learning. Teachers look to us as the administrators to be the disciplinarians, to hold kids accountable, and ultimately for guidance and support. And parents look to us to educate their kids to be fair and equitable, but also provide guidance and support to them and their students. So how do we balance all of these things with everybody's expectations being in different places? We need to align what our vision is, and we need to make clear that everyone operating within a single school or district are moving towards the same goal and the same vision. Let's dig in. Creating a clear vision. You might think it goes without saying that teachers, administrators, parents, and students are all on the same page about the intention of a school, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Each person involved in the organization has their own vision of how their school or classroom should be run, what the curriculum should look like, what's the most effective way to deliver instruction, what's the most effective discipline policy, the list goes on and on. As school leaders, whether we're teachers or admin, our job is to take all of these perspectives and align and develop a clear vision. The foundation of this vision should always go back to how we support our students We should really be making decisions about kids first. Being an educational leader means you have to have the courage to make decisions that put the kids first and not the adults. This is not always easy, but it's the right work and it's the work that sets us apart. To cultivate this clear vision, I recommend the following steps as an easy way to provide alignment between students, teachers, parents, and leadership. First, we have to start with a simple question. What's the job of a school? Well, maybe that question isn't so simple. I recommend looking into a few different buckets to help guide our vision. Of course, we have to start with academics. After all, we're an educational institution. 
But recent research also shows that if kids aren't taken care of, then they will not be ready to learn. The next bucket that we'll look into is social emotional learning. Now, I know I can probably hear your sigh from here because you're trying to figure out how you're going to integrate social emotional learning into your school day when you already feel like you're pressed for time. But building those relationships and having a teacher that cares for their students cannot be undervalued. Think back to a teacher that you had when you were a student that made an impact on you. Do you remember their awesome lecture on similes and metaphors? How about that amazing time they taught you about parallelograms? You don't remember the individual lessons that a teacher taught you. Maybe if it was something that was super creative and exciting, that stands out. But for the most part, you remember how that teacher made you feel. Teachers have been taking care of the social and emotional well-beings of students as long as there has been teachers in the classroom. Although these needs may have shifted and we may have found that there are more students in our classroom that need more support than ever, it has always been a part of the best teachers' classrooms. So wouldn't we want that to be a part of our vision? Let's set up the best school we possibly can. One of the questions that I would ask would be, how do we take care of our kids' social and emotional needs? And what does it look like to have a healthy mind and body? Happy, healthy teachers make happy, healthy classrooms. I read a book years ago. It's called, If You Don't Feed the Teachers, They Will Eat the Students, A Guide to Success for Administrators and Teachers. Isn't this the truth? We have to pour in to all of our staff members in a school from the district down. Teachers take on this work because we have a heart for our students. But if we are constantly put in positions where we are asked to give more and more and not being filled up, it will leave us feeling as we have nothing left to give. Teaching is not a sacrificial career. It should be fulfilling. And a part of that is making sure that we cultivate a culture of good people. So what does it mean to be a good person? I don't think we can underestimate the importance of showing our students how to be good people. Some might say that it's not the job of teachers or the school to teach kids how to be nice. It's the role of the parents. And while that may be true, I don't know any classroom that wouldn't benefit from having students that have kindness, dignity, respect, honesty, integrity. I want kids in my classroom that have all of those traits. So wouldn't we want to cultivate an environment that teaches that? And what do those traits look like to me versus what do they look like to you? I think I would be hard-pressed to find a teacher or really anybody that would not want to have a positive and uplifting learning or work environment. So if this is what we expect, then we have to take the time to teach it. It's very interesting to think that we put so many expectations on students, yet we don't model, explain, and practice those expectations. When we look at each of those buckets, we then need to take it to each of the groups. Once we get feedback from those groups, including the students, then we try and find all the patterns and themes and ideas that stand out. Throughout all of this discussion and time utilized, you've laid the foundation for creating your shared vision. The ideas that resonate across all areas are the ones that take the forefront of your vision statement. Now, I don't know about you, but every school and district that I've ever worked in has had a vision statement. So how do you transform that vision statement from just this quote on a building 
and make it something that everybody lives and breathes. It comes down to marketing. If the foundation of the school is its vision, then you have to communicate it like it's going out of style. Create a motto, make it a brand, and make it sticky so that vision feels omnipresent. If one of the pieces of your vision is that students are academically prepared or prepared to go to college and maintaining high expectations, referring to your students as scholars supports that vision. Each and every word that you use makes an impact and it shows that you're aligned to that vision. And we have to hold each other accountable. We should speak of the children as if their parents were in the room. We have to have high expectations for ourselves as well as our students. We have to be their cheerleaders. They're kids after all. And even our high school babies, they're just kids in bigger bodies. We want that vision of the school to be marketed in a way where if I went da-da-da-da-da, you would know what the next line is. I'm loving it. That slogan should be as omnipresent in your school as the McDonald's slogan being touted across all of these commercials. So how do you get this vision and put it into action? The first step is marketing and branding. The second piece is creating actionable steps. Many hands lighten the load. So let's make a plan and create those steps so each person in the organization can contribute and help everyone uphold the vision that was just developed. Let's be honest, a vision without a plan will get us nowhere. We have to create systems that support that vision. And our vision should have three different components, academics, social emotional well-being, and developing the character of our students. In order to create an academic environment that supports the learning of all students, alignment of the curriculum must take place. The curriculum should be a focused set of the skills that kids need in order to be successful across multiple disciplines. Things like foundational reading, reading comprehension, number sense, math problem solving, and foundational writing at the elementary level are essential components for kids to be prepared moving up to secondary. At the secondary level and even upper elementary, a shift from foundational skills to lifelong skills should occur. The Common Core Standards have laid out the 10 anchor standards for English, the standards for mathematical practice, and the science and engineering practices. These standards teach the students habits of mind. There's a great gap in what we teach students versus what we need them to know and be able to do with that knowledge. There's this amazing visual that was created by the National Science Teachers Association years ago that shows the overlap between the 10-acre standards for English, the math practices, and the science and engineering practices. I'll link it in the show notes. But essentially, what that visual shows is that you can integrate math, science, and English together in your instruction to have kids do these high-level skills like reading, writing, and speaking grounded in evidence, constructing viable arguments and having the ability to critique the arguments of others, obtaining and communicating and evaluating information, 
Now, those standards aren't the content standards, but they're skills that kids need to be able to do in order to meet the rigor and expectation of the content standards. Even though these standards are not typically the focus of the curriculum that we instruct for our content in our classrooms day in and day out, we have to put these skills at the forefront because they need to be able to process that content, communicate the information, and generalize it to any new content that they encounter. Essentially, any content that a teacher chooses to use in the classroom could be a way to assess these essential skills for academic and professional success. Although these standards are not typically the focus of the curriculum that we instruct for content in our classrooms day in and day out, if we look at these skills and teaching students how to learn any content, process that content, and then communicate that information, they will be able to generalize it to any new information. Essentially, any content that a teacher teaches could be used as a way to teach those essential skills for academic and professional success. Now, there are some progressions that they have for English language arts and math, and we want to teach the heck out of those when it comes to the content standards. These skills have to be taught through engaging, curiosity-driven lessons that allow the students to explore, fail, and learn in a safe environment with their teacher as support. These essentials that are agreed upon by each grade level, subject area, team are the must-dos, and they have to be agreed upon. These essentials not only have to have a horizontal connection, but also vertical alignment. Some great resources to look at the progression of standards include the Tulare County Office of ELA um, progressions. It goes grade level by grade level for every standard, and you can see what are the new components. They've highlighted them in yellow at each grade level, so you know how to go deeper on that skill. The Washington State Math Progressions, and then the NSTA-sponsored NGSS Science and Engineering Practice Progressions. Each path that you choose and content that you, that you focus on is up to you as the teacher, but it should be the same at each grade level or content area in order to foster collaboration. If you haven't seen Hattie's research on visible teaching and learning, go check it out. I'll include the link in the show notes. It's amazing. According to this research, the number one predictor of increased student achievement is collective teacher efficacy. That is the teacher's shared beliefs that all students can achieve at high levels. So in order to do this, we have to cultivate that expectation and then collaborate on what the best instructional practices are. We can't talk about academics without talking about what quality instruction looks like. I'm a huge advocate for quality instructional design and implementation. Instruction is personal. It's the art of our profession. So let's take a minute to reflect. We all learn in different ways. And some of us can listen to a lecture, not take a minute of notes, and retain that information. While others of us need to read or see some pictures, maybe have some sentence frames to help us talk about it. It all depends on our independent learning styles and our experience. There's brain research that shows what great instructional design is and an approach to help students to solidify and retain their learning. But ultimately, we really want there to be an integration that tickles different portions of the brain throughout our instruction. So how do we create a systematic approach to reaching each individual student's needs? 
Well, we start with the understanding that not all of our students learn like us. If we take another minute to sit back and reflect on our teaching, does our classroom look and feel like what we experienced as a student? Are we enjoying the interaction that we have with our students around the content? Or are we leaving them feeling frustrated and disappointed? Are we leaving our classroom frustrated and disappointed that our students aren't learning on a daily basis? Our classrooms are our responsibility and should not just be designed around our needs, but instead designed around our students' needs. Now, this can be a very overwhelming task, especially if you have 180 students throughout the day. And differentiation isn't easy, but if you utilize a set of agreed upon instructional practices and set up those systems school-wide, you can start to support the learning of all students across the campus and leverage the many versus the one. Some things to consider when looking at instructional systems. When you're choosing approaches that can be used across every grade level, every content area, think broad. It doesn't have to be a specific instructional practice, but really an approach that you want to take in order to enhance the student's interaction with the content. Something like structured group collaboration, utilization of sentence frames to develop academic language, or a close reading routine. All of these routines and practices can be the same in every grade level district-wide, and they can be systematic in their implementation. If we look at something like structured group collaboration, some of the items that we would find in the routine that we would want to see across every teacher's classroom is that students are seated in groups, that the teacher uses a timer during the collaboration time. They have sentence frames for students to collaborate with. There's pre-made questions that students are interacting with. When you have a focus on a skill like structured group collaboration, it can look different in everybody's classroom. So you're not taking away the art of the teaching. What your expectation is, is that everybody is going to be doing some sort of structured group collaboration. And then when we come back and discuss it, we can talk about what worked, what didn't, and highlight those best practices throughout our classroom. A part of this school-wide system of instruction is creating this in-house professional development to support it. We have the experts in our classrooms every day. Let's highlight the amazing things that we're seeing from teachers. We have to agree on what practices we want to see in every classroom, though, in order to have this wildfire spread. Having the instructional practices be broad, like student collaboration, can help teachers maintain their autonomy while still getting to the heart of engaging instruction. This also allows for teacher-led professional development, because as teachers, we try and implement new student collaboration strategies in our classrooms, and they can present them in front of their colleagues at staff meetings. Once we train staff on our campus, then the idea is, is that teachers have the opportunity to go and watch their colleagues implementing structured student collaboration. They can see how that teacher integrated those routines and then take away 
little nuggets that they think are going to ramp up their instruction. It doesn't have to be a whole clean slate and start from scratch. It's let's take away the pieces that are going to help you be more effective as a teacher. This whole system is what I call learning walks. Everyone knows when the learning walks are going to happen, and every teacher is expected to be a part of them and can be observed. The goal of these learning walks is to spark ideas, to be collaborative, and to spread the best practices and art of teaching across our school. It's such an amazing team-building experience. We set up the expectations to let go of our ego and not use judgment, and the focus is on What evidence did we see to promote positive and productive instruction in the classroom? I'll be creating another podcast to talk more about learning walks in a future episode, but having a culture of shared learning by the adults is also a good piece of research. The number one most effective way to improve teacher learning is to have the teachers be involved in it and let them observe those practices and then go back and reteach the lesson. An important piece of any academic system is how are we going to monitor student learning? Again, when we look at the research, formative assessment that informs our instruction has one of the biggest impacts on student achievement. Now, when we look at the way the public education system is designed, student achievement is measured based off of the state assessment. In California, this is the CASP, and CASP was designed by Smarter Balanced. That's not who designed the standards. So what Smarter Balanced has done is they have created targets. And what the targets do is they bundle standards together, and then they've created evidence statements or learning objectives that help to define what their interpretation of each of the standards are asking for that particular grade level. So let me give you an example. The RL3 standard talks about students being able to describe the character, setting, and the plot of a story. Now, if I were going to go and ask questions of my students, I would say, who are the characters in the story? What particular character traits do they have? And so on and so forth. But when we take a look at the item specifications and those evidence statements, it asks students What inference can be made about a specific character based on evidence from the story? That's a much different level of rigor, and that's a much different way to ask that question. What the Smarter Balance Content Explorer has done is it has allowed us to peel back the layers of some of that ambiguity surrounding the standards. You are able to click on a standard, review the evidence statements, which is their way of saying the learning objective, and then look at sample question stems and the prompts that they would use to question students. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have spent so much time preparing lessons and teaching my students and they're achieving on my assessments and I feel like they're going to rock the state assessment and then I get them back and they weren't as successful on CASP as I thought they should be, it's disheartening because I'm working so hard and I see them working so hard, but it has nothing to do with the instruction. Typically, it's a misalignment. 
And so looking at the Smarter Balance Content Explorer could be a game changer for our classrooms. Now, being able to pull that information and use it in order to create our formative assessments to expose our students to the language that the state is asking and the rigor and level of those assessments, that's really where we make a bigger impact on student achievement according to those state assessments. Now, don't get me wrong, this is gonna be very rigorous to start, but the goal to begin with is exposure. At the end of each of your agreed upon units, all teachers in the content area should give the same assessment. And and then you have to do something with that data. We have to see what instructional practices resulted in the best student achievement. And then we can brainstorm, what are we gonna do with our students that didn't get that information? How can we work as a team in order to provide intervention and support to help fill those gaps for our students that didn't get it within that time? But also, what were those best practices that we wanna use in the next unit to carry through? After all, student learning is a continuous process. It's a growing cycle. So just because we gave that assessment doesn't mean those skills and expectations are left behind, but we have to move on and teach more of the content. Once we have an academic system set up where we have our curriculum aligned with the skills that students need, we have some instructional practices that we've agreed upon as a school or district, and then we have common formative assessments that we can analyze some data, We need to look at our systems that support the social-emotional learning of kids. The groundwork in social-emotional learning, which I'm going to call SEL because it's kind of a mouthful to get out, lies in the development of the relationships with every person on the school site. The expectation should be that every kid on campus and every person on campus, a teacher, a parent that walks in, a paraeducator, is treated with kindness, respect, and dignity. So how do we create a school-wide system that upholds these ideas? We have to start with the staff. My friend, Dr. Joelle Hood, is an amazing resource for all things SEL and especially taking care of each other and our students. She has an awesome Facebook group that's called the Thrive Tribe. I'll include the link in the show notes. Definitely check her out. She also provides professional development to schools and districts. So if she can come to your class, if you can get her, I highly, highly recommend it. It will be 100% worth everything. The whole premise behind SEL is that we have to take time in our schedule to take care of our physical, mental, social, and emotional needs. This means we have to create a system. So often as teachers, we put everyone else before us. So we not only have to put systems in place to take care of our students during the school day, but also as a school leader to take care of our teachers. These systems can include things like morning meetings, mindfulness moments, or physical activity. Having set times for all of these components contribute to the overall health and well-being of every person on the site. Putting this system into practice within the classroom then then can then have a ripple effect in each part of the institution outside of the classroom. You can provide support to parents through training, creating groups during lunch and after school to support staff, and you choose what are the things that are important together. 
The bottom line is that every person should have a way to connect with others and feel supported. There was this awesome activity that I did once in a school, and we had all of the names of the students listed in our teacher's lounge. And each teacher went around and put a little dot sticker next to a kid that they knew something personal about, that they really connected with. And for those students that didn't have those dots or stickers next to their name, we then made them into a group and chose you know, teachers that knew who those kids were, had those kids in their class. The counselors looked at those kids and pulled them into their um and pulled them into their offices to talk to the kids about who do you want to connect with on campus? Every single student should have an adult on campus that they can go to, that they've developed a relationship with if things get bad. And so we want to make sure that we're creating systems and looking at how we can create those relationships and cultivate SEL on our campuses. Now, if we're thinking about those three buckets, the morning meetings or class meetings, the mindfulness moments and integrating the physical activity breaks, you're probably like, okay, so where am I going to get this time? It's it's not magical. But even if you don't have the time, I would really encourage you to think a bit about putting deposits into your, your emotional bank. When you put those deposits in, When something happens within your classroom or with one of your students, you'll be able to have that conversation with your students because you've cultivated that relationship by putting those deposits in the bank. Having these breaks will help to limit distractions during the times when you want your students to be focused on the content. It's a win-win. Okay, so let's spend a little bit of time talking about character. I see character in two distinct categories, elementary versus secondary. At the elementary level, we want to teach students what it means to act with kindness and respect and honesty. In the lower grades, we really want to focus on being nice with our hands, teaching kids how to be respectful to one another, really teaching them how to school. I'm currently working on a TK through second grade curriculum on teaching kids these different traits about respect and honesty and safety. Um, So keep a lookout for that. But for older elementary students, we want them to do, of course, those things, being respectful and responsible and kind. But then we also want them to look at things like having integrity and perseverance and motivation. Throughout the school year, we can focus on probably 10 to 20 traits and go deeply into them. I've developed a curriculum called Camp Character that has a month worth of lessons on 20 different character traits, including grit and teamwork and ambition and courtesy, respect, integrity. My goal is to launch the first ever character development subscription box for teachers called Camp Character. It's focused on 20 traits with daily lessons, data collection, songs and chants and incentives to enhance the learning of students. The box will include all of the learning materials for that month's character traits, a class set of incentives that students can earn for exhibiting those traits, things like pencils and stickers. It'll also include some sort of fun teacher gift, things like glitter Sharpie markers or um, the new fluorescent whiteboard markers. Oh my gosh, I love school supplies. I don't know about you, but... I'm, I would be so excited to get this box in my classroom and be able to do the unboxing with them to show them what they can get by exhibiting those traits throughout the month. 
Keep a lookout for mock-ups of the boxes coming soon on social media. I can't wait to hear from y'all and see if you really like this idea and get your feedback. It's very exciting. At the secondary level then, when we look at uh, developing character traits, we're not looking so much as teaching kids what it means to be respectful and kind and honest. What we want to do is shift our focus to helping them change their internal dialogue. With social media having such a strong influence on our culture, I struggle with not comparing myself to everybody's Instagram reel or TikTok. Our students are constantly judging others and comparing themselves. And in the era of social media and all of these incredibly impossible images that are put on the internet due to these filters, it's no surprise that our kids have this increase in anxiety and depression. On a personal note, my own daughter has dealt with some pretty severe bullying from kids, throwing food at her and barking at her while she was in middle school. And most recently, one of the students took a picture of her in her class and put one of those horrible filters on it and then posted it on Instagram for everyone to see. I would love for my own kids to be in an environment where that wasn't an acceptable practice. We want to empower our students And help them have the self-worth and value to not depend on doing things to make others feel bad to build themselves up. I'm working on a secondary curriculum called Selfie to help with just that. Whether you choose to use my resources or others that you can find, the point is is that we have to teach students what it means to have good character across different environments and interacting with different people, including kids, teachers, adults. How do we expect kids to learn things? We have to teach them. And character is really no exception to this rule. Creating a school culture and vision that focuses on high academic expectations and instruction, character development, and the social-emotional learning of students will help to have a more successful and rigorous learning environment. Getting everyone on the same page is the first step in a truly transformative experience. So let's get started. If you want more information on how you can transform your school, follow us on social at The Learning Project Gen on Instagram or Pinterest, and you can visit us at learning-project.com to stay updated on all of our new and exciting happenings. And as a bonus to this episode, I'm providing this awesome free resource It's 200 morning meeting questions related to the 20 different character traits that you find in Camp Character. There's a secondary version and an elementary version of this resource that you can find at learning-project.com slash 200. I hope that this episode has provided you with some strategies to inspire and motivate you. Happy teaching! Hey friend, I'm over here giving you a fist bump, high five, and big hug for completing another episode of the Learning Project Podcast. Was that way too fast or what? If you want more, head over to learning-project.com for show notes and all of the links, freebies, and discount codes from this episode. And if you're looking for some new teacher besties to share wins, bounce ideas, and ask questions, Head on over to Facebook to join our exclusive community for inspired and positive teachers just like you. The link is waiting for you at learning-project.com. See you there.